Let us take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and let's just read verse 32. So then they came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, that he came down also to the saints, saints which dwelt at Adar. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we Thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you in song and to come around your word. Lord, I pray that you would now give me wisdom and guidance from on high, that you empower me through the Spirit as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and instruct us through your word, that, Lord, we will receive a blessing from it, and that we leave this place knowing that we've been in your presence and that we leave rejoicing in you and, and who you are. And may you bless now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember the first 31 verses here of Acts chapter 9, were all to do with the conversion of Saul, okay, who of course becomes the Apostle Paul. And we saw that there was four meetings that took place that greatly affected his life. Of course, there was the meeting with the Lord on the road to Damascus. There was the meeting with Ananias, sorry, Ananias as he came to heal Saul and baptize him. We saw then that he met with opposition there in Damascus and that he had to flee. And then we saw that he met with the apostles at Jerusalem. And the account concludes with Saul being brought by the brethren down to Caesarea and then he goes on to Tarshish. Verse 30, it says, um, which when the brethren knew uh, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. And so this is where we leave Saul. Okay, Saul is in Tarshish and we don't read about him again for a few chapters. This is where the, the author Luke leaves him for now. And instead the, the spotlight is turned again upon the Apostle Peter. Now if you remember right back at the very beginning when we started looking at the book of Acts, we said that um, really the book of Acts isn't about all the Acts of all the Apostles. It really only highlights two of the apostles, and they were Peter and the Apostle Paul. And so here the focus returns to Peter and his ministry, and it stays on him until the end of chapter 12. And then Peter will fade into the background, and Paul becomes the prominent figure in the book of Acts. And so here chapter 9 is concluded with an account of two miracles that Peter does in the power of Christ. And these miracles here are told in, in a style that is very similar to the narratives of the Gospels. Okay, as we read these, it's very similar to the narratives we read concerning Christ and the miracles that he performed while he was on earth. Indeed, it's very interesting to see the similarities between the miracles and the ones that Christ did, the way that Peter does it and the way Christ went about performing similar miracles. And so this morning I want us to consider these two miracles and the effect or the result of these miracles. The first is the healing of Aeneas. In verse 32, it says, It came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, 
He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lidar. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. You know, verse 32 here begins by telling us that Peter had actually been traveling around. Peter was doing a traveling ministry at this time. It says there in verse 32 that he passed throughout all quarters. Okay, so the idea is that he had left Jerusalem, he was on the road, and he's traveling from city to city, he's meeting with the saints in these places, he's meeting with the churches, and also he's evangelizing the lost, he's preaching and teaching. Okay, and he's doing a traveling ministry. And on this particular occasion, we find that he comes to visit the saints at Ladar. And this is a Gentile city that was located about 25 miles or 40 kilometers from Jerusalem. This sort of shows the extent of his ministry. Okay? He's traveling a fair way away from the city of Jerusalem on the road. And it's possible that the saints that he finds here in this city are people who were led to the Lord by those who fled the persecution. Okay, remember with Saul, persecution was um, rampant, okay, and the believers were uh, dispersed. They left Jerusalem and they fled. And so it's possible that some of them have fled to Ladar and they'd preached and taught there and there's a group of believers there now in this city. But it's also clear that Philip had ministered in this city as well. Okay, Philip had passed through this region preaching and teaching. Go back to chapter 8 with me and verse 40. It says, But Philip, found, sorry, but Philip was found at Azotos and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, now the road from Azotos to Caesarea, between there, that's where Ladar is. Okay, so this is one of the cities that he is preaching to as Philip is traveling up to Caesarea. So Philip has preached in this region, and so maybe he established this work. Maybe he is the one who established this, this church, this group of believers here in Ladar. But Peter comes to this city now, and as he comes to this city to, to encourage these believers, to teach these believers, he meets with a man named Aeneas. In verse 33 it says, that, And there he found a certain man, named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Now, we don't know much about this man here, other than his name, do we? You know, we're not told whether this man is a believer, whether he's part of uh, the congregation there. We're not told whether he is a Jew or a Gentile. We're not told the answers to these questions. We're simply told that this man had been palsied for eight years long years in other words he'd been crippled and he was on his bed for eight years he'd been unable to walk unable to to help himself you know this man was in a desperate state he had a desperate need you know i'm sure after eight long years it seemed like he was never going to walk again you know it seemed like this was it this was his lot in life but now peter comes to town and peter comes across this man in need, and the Lord uses Peter to meet this man's need. It's important here, I think, that we note that Peter is doing the Lord's will when he comes across this man. You know, Peter is out serving the Lord, he's on the road, he's traveling, he's ministering faithfully to the saints, and he's evangelizing the lost, which made Peter someone God could use, which made Peter someone God could uh, use to work in the life of this man you so god in his providence brings them together so the point i'm trying to make is that 
Like Peter, we need to be active in our service for the Lord. It's no good us sitting back and waiting for the Lord to bring people to us. We need to be active in our service for the Lord. And as we're active serving Him, the Lord then will bring people across our path that we can minister to, that we can meet their need, their spiritual needs, like Peter does here. You know, having met this man in God's providence, Peter now heals this man in the name of Christ. He says in verse 34, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise, and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Now if you remember back in Acts chapter 3, Peter's very first miracle was the healing of the crippled man at the temple. Okay? Where he went walking and leaping and praising God. Okay, that was his very first miracle. And if you like, this miracle now is repeated, isn't it? Okay, he heals another cripple. Man, and Peter here, he tells Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. You know, Peter here is very careful, isn't he? He's very careful to identify that it's the power of Christ at work, that it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that this man is healed. You know, Peter's not the one doing the healing. Peter doesn't have um, some magical powers. Peter doesn't have a gift of healing. Okay, Peter is is speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ is answering that prayer. Christ is the one doing the work here. Christ is the one who heals this man. Peter, if you like, is simply the vessel, isn't he? He's the instrument used by God. It's the power of Christ that heals Aeneas. You know, back in chapter 3, Peter made the same point. The same point that when he healed that crippled man, it was in the power of the Lord. Go back to Acts chapter 3 just quickly. Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, first of all. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. If you drop down also to verse 16. It says, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Again, he says it's faith in his name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 4, verse 10, he repeats it again. He says, be it known unto, all of you, unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you. Peter, on each occasion, though, is very clear, isn't he? It's the power of Christ. It's in the name of Christ. And the same is true here with Aeneas. As he says to him, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. It's not Peter makes thee whole. It's Jesus Christ. It's the name of Christ. It's through his power that this man was going to be healed. And we're told in verse 34 that Peter says to him, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Peter says to him, Jesus Christ has made thee whole. He says, stand up, make thy bed and walk. And Aeneas stands up. It says that he arose immediately. The healing was instantaneous. When Aeneas responded in faith and stood up, the healing was instantaneous here. He's healed immediately. 
And all of this closely parallels the miracle that Christ performed back in Luke chapter 5. When he healed the crippled man that was let down through the ceiling of the house. Just go back there with me. Luke chapter 5 and verse 24. We're picking up in the middle of it. But in Luke, 20, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 24, it says, But that you may know that Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he arose up before them, and took up that whereupon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Now, both miracles are very similar, aren't they? You have a crippled man. And the word, the cr- wording that Christ uses to the, the crippled man is very similar to what Peter says to the crippled man. And then both immediately are able to get up or immediately healed and take up their beds and walk. See, Peter had witnessed this miracle, had witnessed other miracles that Christ had done. And as he comes to this man to heal him, he's following the pattern that Christ had said, isn't he? He's following the pattern of his Saviour as he speaks to this man. And so with confidence in what Christ had done and what Christ can do, Peter says to this man, Jesus Christ hath made thee whole. And Aeneas, by faith, is able to get up, make his bed and walk around the town. You know, he becomes a walking miracle, a walking testimony, doesn't he? You know, this has an immediate effect upon the town of Nadal. Read verse 35 with me in Acts chapter 9. In verse 35 it says, And all that dwelt at Ladar and Sauron saw him and turned to the Lord. This miracle has an effect, doesn't it? It has an effect upon the town of Ladar and Sauron, in other words, the surrounding region, as many turned to the Lord in faith. This miracle had a purpose. There was a reason for it. God used it to convince a city and its surrounds of the truth of his word. Now Luke declares here, he says that all that dwelt turned to the Lord. All that dwelt. Now this is Luke's way of indicating that a lot of people got saved. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in the city got saved, but it's the idea that all who saw him walking, all who saw the miracle, all who understood the healing that had taken place, turned to the Lord in faith. You know, those who knew Aeneas before his healing and then saw him walking around the town couldn't deny what had happened, could they? They couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't deny the change. Couldn't deny the power of God. You know, once again, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, this miracle had a purpose there was a reason for it you know it wasn't simply to meet the physical need of one man was it you know that that's not the reason for this miracle it's not that peter saw Aeneas there and he stayed and felt sorry for him and thought he'd heal him it wasn't for just his physical need that was a concern sure but that wasn't the purpose the real purpose was to meet that man's spiritual need and also to meet the spiritual need of the city and its surrounds. You know, God used this miracle to get their attention. 
God used this miracle so, you know, their, their heads were turned and they listened to Peter. They were ready to listen to him as he spoke. And, you know, Peter takes the opportunity to lead them to the Lord. It doesn't say that in the passage, but we know that's what takes place, isn't it? They are attracted by the miracle and Peter gives them the gospel. And these ones get saved. You know, we can be sure that Peter didn't just then move on. Peter didn't just heal Anais and then that was it. We can be sure that Peter would have preached and taught to them the scriptures. You know, Christ had commissioned Peter to feed his sheep, hadn't he? In John chapter 21, that's what he said time and again. He said, feed my sheep. And that's what Peter would have done. Peter wouldn't have just taken off. He would have fed the Christians, these newborn believers, these ones who receive Christ. And so he stays in Ladar for a period of time, teaching them following this miracle. And then we come to the second miracle, which is the raising of Dorcas in verse 36, the raising of Dorcas. Verse 36, it says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was of good, uh, full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. The second miracle that Luke now records for us that Peter is involved in takes place in Joppa. It's place in Joppa. And Joppa is located on the coast and it's about another 19 kilometres from Ladar. Okay, so he's gone from Jerusalem, he's travelled around, he's at Ladar, which is 40 k's away, and now he's gone a further... 20 kilometers, if you like, to the coast, to Joppa. Now, this miracle involves here a certain Christian lady by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, Tabitha is the Aramaic name and Dorcas is the Greek name. That's why both names are mentioned here, okay? This is in verse 36. Now, there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Okay, so the reason both names are given is one's the Aramaic and one is the Greek. And both of these names mean gazelle, okay, as in the deer. Okay, that's what these names mean. And it was a name that was given to women because the gazelle was seen as a lovely, graceful, beautiful creature. And so they would give women this name. Indeed, Dorcas was someone who lived up to her name. She was a lovely, graceful woman. Someone of beautiful character. At the end of verse 36, it describes how she was full of good works and alms deeds. In other words, you know, Dorcas was someone who was known to have cared for others. She cared for the brethren. She cared for those around us. I'm sure she cared for the unsaved as well. This is the kind of woman she was. She was constantly seeking to meet the needs of others, seeking to encourage others. See, the point is that Dorcas was a blessing to this local church. Okay? She was a real blessing. She was someone this church loved having around. She was such a blessing to the congregation, to this assembly of believers. But in verse 37, we see that Dorcas becomes sick and she dies. It says in verse 37, And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed and laid her in an upper chamber, 
And we'll leave it there. And so Dorcas, this wonderful Christian lady, she now becomes sick and she dies. This one who's such a blessing to the local church is suddenly taken away from them. She's suddenly no longer in their midst. She's someone that they are going to miss dearly. And the believers here, they follow the normal custom. They wash her body, preparing her for burial, if you like. But instead of burying her, we find they lay her in an upper room. You know, what this indicates to us is that already they have hope that something's going to happen. The fact that they haven't just gone out and buried her tells you they have hope, they have faith that something is going to happen, that Christ can do something still. Verse 38 tells us that after they've laid her in the upper room, they send for Peter. It says, and for as much as Ladar was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And so immediately they send for Peter. They send two men to travel from Joppa, the 20 kilometers to Ladar, to fetch Peter and bring him back. Now again, this shows the faith of these believers, doesn't it? shows the faith of these believers in Joppa. Not only have they not buried her, but now they send for Peter to come immediately, to come without delay. So the point is they had no reason to send for Peter. They had no reason to send for him except for the fact that they believed that through the power of Christ he could do something for Dorcas. You know, their faith is made even more extraordinary when we consider that before this time in the book of Acts, we have not seen any of the apostles raise anyone back to life. Before this time, there is no miracle recorded of any of the apostles bringing someone back in the power of Christ to life. You know, when Christ was on earth, he could raise the dead. And so in the mind of these believers, they thought, why can't he do it now? Yeah, that's the faith that we're seeing here. Yeah, Christ is in heaven. Christ alive, he's on the throne. Surely Christ can still do the same miracle. Christ can still raise Dorcas back to life. They knew the power of their saviour. And so by faith, they sent for Peter so that Peter in the power of the Lord might do something. That Christ might work through Peter. And so immediately we find that Peter leaves Ladar and he heads to Joppa. Verse 39, it says, Then Peter arose and went with them. Uh, when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the, garm- uh, the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. So immediately he goes with these men. He travels back, or oh, travels, sorry, the 20 kilometers to Joppa. And he comes into the upper room where they laid Dorcas. You know, by this time, the house is occupied by mourners. People are weeping at the death of Dorcas. And in particular, there is a group of widows there weeping, and they're showing to Peter, it says, the the coats and garments which Dorcas had made. In verse 36, we are told that she was full of good works and alms deeds. You know, now we get a sense of exactly what it is she was doing. This wonderful woman was taking care of the needs of the widows. She was ministering to these other Christian ladies and maybe even unsaved ladies who needed help. She was ministering to them. 
It appears that Dorcas had taken it upon herself to care for their needs, to make clothes and to mend clothes for these ladies. You see, she was a blessing to these widows and indeed to the rest of the church, but these widows were going to miss her. And so as Peter enters the house, these widows are showing him the garments that she'd made. It seems that the point of that is that they're showing him how much they're going to miss her. They're showing Peter why they want her back, why, why it is that she's such a great loss to them. They want Peter to do something. So Peter now proceeds in the verses that follows to follow, once again, the example of Christ in a similar situation. situation. Verse 40 we read, But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called, the saints and widows presented her alive. We read here that Peter comes into the room and he puts forth all the, the mourners. He tells them all to leave the room. And he kneels down and he prays for Dorcas. He prays for the Lord to do a miracle. And in faith that his prayer has been answered, he then says to Tabitha, arise. He believes that Christ has heard. He believes that Christ has heard his prayer and he's going to answer. And so he says, Tabitha, arise. Now we must compare this once again, the accounts of our Lord in a similar circumstance. Our Lord raising Jairus' daughter. Just turn over to Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5 and verse 38. says, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. But they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was laying. Or was lying, sorry. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha, Kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with greatest astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded, them, uh, commanded that something should be given her to eat. You know, Mark chapter 5 here, with the account of Jairus' daughter and Christ raising her back to life, we have a lot of similarities again with what Luke uh, records here about Peter doing in Acts chapter 9. See, in both cases, the morning people are put out of the room, aren't they? Both cases, they're asked to leave the room. And then the words that are spoken by Christ and by Peter are almost identical in mark chapter 5 verse 41 christ says to jairus's daughter he says talitha kumi in other words damsel arise in acts chapter 9 peter says tabitha arise or tabitha kumi it's almost the exact same word it's one letter difference talitha tabitha very similar 
very similar events and some people have said led some people to say that this miracle recorded about Peter is therefore Christ's miracle just recorded about Peter well we have no reason to believe that at all it's just simply that Peter here is following very closely what Christ did he's following very closely what Christ did with Jairus's daughter you see, Christ, uh, Peter is following the example of his Lord. Peter knows he's got no power to do this. He's doing it all following the example of his Saviour and he's doing it all in prayer that his Saviour will answer this prayer and he'll raise Dorcas back to life. We're told in verse 40 of Acts chapter 9 that Tabitha responds by opening her eyes and when she sees Peter, she sits up. It says at the end of verse 40 there, and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. She sits up. Dorcas is raised back to life. Christ hears the prayer of Peter. Once again, this miracle had nothing to do with Peter. Had nothing to do with any power he possessed. It was the power of Christ, the power of his resurrected Lord. And it's in answer to Peter's prayer and in answer to his faith that Dorcas is raised back to life. And Peter then takes her by the hand and he presents her to the saints. To the saints and widows, it says at the end of verse 41, he presents her alive. You know, we can only imagine the joy of this experience. The joy of him presenting her alive to these ones who were weeping at her death. These ones who are going to miss her so dearly. You know, Christ had once again proven his power through his servant, Peter. And you know, as was the case with the healing of Aeneas, the, the raising of Dorcas attracted a lot of attention, as it would. Someone's come back to life. It attracted attention. And many people were told, turn to the Lord in faith. Look at verse 42. It says, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Many come to the Lord as a result of this miracle. You see, once again, we find that this miracle had a purpose. There was a reason why God answered this prayer and raised Dorcas back to life. This miracle was used by God to spread the truth of the gospel message. It was God's way of confirming the truth of what his apostles spake. You know, this is the reason and purpose for all these miracles in the early church. It was all about God, Christ, confirming the apostles' message and their ministry. It was strengthening people in the faith and leading others to the faith. So God, in his wisdom, sees fit to raise Dorcas back to life. Now, as one commentator I read this week pointed out, you know, we could at this point ask the question, why Dorcas? Now, think about this. Stephen was stoned to death only a couple of chapters earlier. Why didn't the Lord raise Stephen back to life? Likewise, James in chapter 12 is executed and put to death. Why didn't Christ raise James back to life? Surely Stephen and James were important to the growth of the church. Surely they were as important as Dorcas, if not more important in the sense that they were vital me me members of the 
early church and they're going forth with the gospel. Surely these men were important. Why does the Lord see fit to raise Dorcas and not these two and others? You see, the point is that God knows best. God knows what he's doing even when we don't understand. He has a purpose even though we can't see it. See, what it highlights for us is the unsearchable wisdom of God, doesn't it? That's what it highlights for us. You know, if it was us, we'd have everyone raised back to life. We just want everyone to stay around. You see, God in his wisdom knows best. Dorcas wasn't raised back to life for her own sake again, was she? Where was Dorcas? She was in heaven. She didn't want to come back. No? <laughs> it wasn't for her sake, was it? She was raised back to life because she was there to minister to these saints and indeed to have an effect upon the town. God knew that. God knew her life would have an effect upon the city of Joppa. And so she was raised for the glory of God. And by the same token, Stephen and James both died as martyrs. Why? For the glory of God. In both cases, God was glorified. And through both, people came to the Lord. Through Dorcas in being raised and through Stephen and James dying, people came to the Lord. For instance, in the death of Stephen, you know, his death had an effect upon Saul, didn't it? And eventually Saul comes to the Lord and becomes the great apostle Paul. Stephen's prayer as he died was for those who were stoning him, for those who were involved. And Christ answered that prayer as Saul finds forgiveness and becomes the great apostle Paul. Stephen's death was not in vain, was it? It was to the glory of God. You see, the wonderful truth is, the wonderful truth that we as believers must understand is that God is in control and he knows best. His way is always perfect. His way is always best. You know, can God still perform great miracles such as these recorded in Acts chapter 9? Absolutely. God is still on the throne. God is still just as powerful. And indeed, he does still perform miracles like this, doesn't he? Healing saints, healing believers, doing wondrous works. Christ still can do that. But does he always perform a miracle? Does he always heal a dear saint? No. Sometimes in his wisdom... In his eternal plan, he allows them to go home to glory. See, the fact of the matter is that God is still on the throne and whatever happens will be for his glory. The miraculous healing of a saint can be used by God to bring others to him. But so too can the wonderful testimony of a saint in death bring others to him. See, God can and does use both. And when we understand that, it gives us great peace in the knowledge that God's in control, doesn't it? That he has a plan, he has a purpose. You know, Romans 8.28 declares this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this passage recording these two wondrous miracles. These miracles which served a purpose, Lord, had an effect upon these cities uh, in the ministry of the gospel. 
And Lord, we know that you are still on the throne, that you are indeed still all-powerful. And that, Lord, you can still perform great wondrous miracles. But Lord, we also understand that, Lord, your wisdom is greater than ours and that you don't always perform a miracle. Sometimes, Lord, it's, it's in your plan that they go home to glory. And Lord, may we understand this as believers. May we rest in the peace, in the knowledge that you are on the throne and that you have a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. May we rejoice in you this day and give thanks unto you, we pray in Jesus' name.